Hello, McWarrior fans. This is Duncan Fisher. Today is the dawn of an exciting new league, a trial by fire, a proverbial bloodbath of lasers and autocannons, the likes of which you have never seen. Born from the twisted mind of the dragon's own Hohiro Karita, this new league will pit the finest mech warrior units throughout the inner sphere against each other via intense skirmish-based combat. If you thought one versus ones and two versus twos was hardcore, just wait, because the Martial Olympiad is reborn. GLHF mech fans, it's Cozened Indigo here and we can finally say that the Martial Olympiad Reborn is over and after more than 90 matches across 8 weeks, almost 4,500 mechs destroyed and more than 350 penises drawn on map strats, the first tournament by MWO Comp has been, in my opinion, an overwhelming success. Let's get straight to it though. This episode is another reflection on the tournament and this time I'm looking at some of the top pilots as well as some of the key takeaways from the tournament uh, such as what mechs we saw played, the strats employed uh, and the way the maps played in the tournament. I'm also going to do my best to look at how these things differed uh, across the different divisions and maybe what kind of influence all of this might have had on the meta. Uh, really kind of trying to wrap up the key moments and takeaways from MOR. Firstly though, let's talk briefly about results. There was just one game left in the tournament and it was meaningful in that it would decide first and second place in NA Div B. Smoke Adders needed to win three drops against Clan Crossfire to take the division and move above White Knight Legion on the ladder. Uh, it was set up to be epic, and epic it was. Uh, I was actually set to miss this game, uh, as I had some other commitments on the day, but I was really, really happy to get home early uh, and be able to play. Go and check this game out on MWO Comp, uh, the YouTube channel. I think it was one of the most exciting comp games all tournament. I mean, where else would you see a leaked commando kill two annihilators, a strike kill from the grave, uh, and the most epic conquest throw ever, all in one match. Ultimately, uh, the match resulted in a 3-2 victory for Clan Crossfire, uh, and a division victory for White Knight Legion. So congratulations to Mr. Samaru and his team on a great win, uh, and also congratulations to Smoke Adders for a fantastic match, uh, and for taking second place in NA Div B. Right, so let's begin this review episode by talking about the top pilots that we saw in the tournament. Uh, there were 386 pilots who participated at some point, and they ranged in Yarl's ranking from 24% right up to 100% players like Lizzie or Salif. Uh, the average match score across the tournament was just under 220, uh, and the average damage was 317. 94% uh, of the pilots got at least one kill. The average kill tally for pilots was 11 across the tournament. Now, uh, first off, I'm going to start with uh, a major caveat here in that all the information I'll talk about is based on the stats uh, that I collected over the tournament. And uh, as you'll know, there's a couple of limitations to that. Firstly, there were a few teams who either didn't submit the summary stats or they submitted screenshots rather than the published stats and the, and the API link. Uh, and that does mean that a tiny bit of information was missed. It's really small, probably only one or two drops, I think, in the end. 
uh, because I took the screenshots and actually transcribed the information out of there manually. But of course, the screenshots don't have all the same info uh, as you would get through the API. So yeah, you're welcome, data nerds. Secondly, uh, and probably most importantly, the data collected by PGI to generate match score is pretty tonnage bias. Uh, by that, I mean that you are more likely to generate a higher match score in the heavier that a mech is. Uh, basically speaking, match score generally won't capture you know, those valuable role-based contributions that many lights or fast mediums make, uh, especially in comp, uh, and nor will it capture the value of particular kills or actions such as you know that clutch capture uh, of a point. So keep that in mind. Uh, personally, as a pilot uh, who played only lights and fast mediums in the tournament, I'm pretty sympathetic to how crucial good and bad light play is to comp, particularly you know at those higher levels in the higher divisions. So to my brothers uh, and sisters out there that are capping points or chucking up UAVs and pretty much risking life and limb in the back lines of the enemy. Uh, you're all winners to me, and I am currently trying to lobby those W Comp admins uh, for some more MC-related love uh, for the people in those lighter classes. But I've done what I can. So let's look at the best pilots in the tournament, and uh, I'm going to give you the best pilot in each class across each division, and that is based on match score. So uh, I'll go from there into the few novelty awards, just for some stuff that I've picked out. Uh, and from there, I will talk about the top pilot in the competition, uh, in my opinion. Let's start with EU Devay, and it is no surprise in the light class that Dered goes to faster. From Eon Tatos was the best, uh, averaging 235 match score across 18 drops, uh, and played mostly in a Wolfhound 2. For mediums, it was MK4I9661, hope I've got that right, uh, from Russian Jade Falcon and uh, MK averaged 233 match score across uh, 13 drops, playing most of the time in a Vulcan 5T. For heavies, it was Data uh, from First Jaguar Guards, and Data averaged 287 match score across the 21 drops. He played in a heavy uh, and spent most of the time, I think, in a Virago. And in the Assault class, it was the Unstoppable Lizzie, also from Eon Tatos and Lizzie averaged 274 match score across the 18 drops that he played. And Lizzie spent uh, most of the time, uh, or the most frequent assault that he played there for Eon was the Direwolf. On to EU Div B, and in the light class, well done to Ocular TB from Majestic 12. Uh, Ocular averaged 243 match score across the 10 drops played as a light. Uh, and yeah, Ocular did play quite a variety of different lights. To mediums, it was Frio 19 from Furia. Frio averaged 295 match score across the 12 drops that Frio spent in a medium, uh, most of the time in that brutal Assassin 21. For the heavy class, it was Desertu uh, from Russian Jade Falcon Irie, uh, who was a real powerhouse, averaging 315 match score across 18 drops in a heavy, uh, and most of the time I think it was a summoner that Desertu was carving up with. And in the Assault class, it was Texan Scrub Lord, also from Majestic 12, and Texan averaged 399 match score across 10 drops, and uh, yeah, definitely played in a variety of assaults there. So very, very good work from those pilots. On to NA, and we'll start with Div A, and again, no surprise uh, that the light class was dominated by Salath from Imperial, and Salath averaged 221 match score, played a light 27 times, and was uh, mostly a terror in a piranha. 
played uh, quite a few of the Piranha variants. To mediums, and it was Navid A1 uh, playing for Black Omen, and Navid uh, averaged 276 match score across 18 drops in a medium, most of the time in that Vulcan 5T. In the heavy class, it was Bowser from EMP, uh, averaging 289 match score across the 11 drops that he spent in a heavy, and he uh, did use quite a few different heavies. And sticking with EMP in the assault class, it was Chimera, uh, and he continued EMP's dominance in the division, averaging 373 match score across 16 drops in an assault, uh, and more often than not, he was firing out Daka from the Annihilator 2A. On to NA Div B, uh, and in the light class, it was Fuzzy NZ from Clan Crossfire, who averaged 243 match score across 23 drops in a light, and Fuzzy was pretty epic, largely in his Commando 1D. Uh, in the mediums, it was McGraw 18 from Smoke Adders, averaging an, a very impressive 299 match score over 11 drops in a medium uh, with the Black Lanner, the uh, medium that he played most often. In the heavy class, it was Damocles 1 from Emmy's Crab People, and Damocles averaged 289 match score across 11 drops, spending most of the time in a Warhammer 6R. And for assaults, TK87 from Clan Crossfire averaged 377 match score across 11 drops, and I know TK, so he spent most of his time in an Overwatch position with advanced zoom firing from his Blood Asp. Go Dr. TK. NA Div C, uh, and in the light class it was Pilot Error from Dropship 4, averaging 265 match score uh, in the 10 drops that he played, most of the time in a Flea 20. In the mediums it was Orbit Rain from uh, Cameron's Highlanders Claymore, averaging 253 match score uh, over 14 drops, and spent most of the time launching SRMs I guess from the Arctic Wolf 2. In the heavy class it was Deraku, also from Claymore, and Deraku averaged 329 match score across 11 drops, uh, and spent almost all of those in the quick draw IV4, so uh, I'm guessing that was uh, mid-range MRM. And for the assaults, Ying Yang, Spinny Thang, from, also from Dropship 4, averaged 361 match score across 11 drops, and also played a variety of assaults. Lastly, we have NA Div D, and in the lights, it was none other than Chortles, uh, from 228th Death from Below, who averaged an amazing 299 match score across 16 drops, also in that virtually unkillable Commando 1D. For mediums, it was Uprising 2123 from DSAG, who averaged 293 match score over 13 drops and split time between the Wolverine Quarantine and, I think that's a Wolverine, uh, and a Stormcrow. In the heavy class, it was Shoutcaster Extraordinaire Curlon from Smoke Adders 505th, uh, averaging 247 match score across 11 drops, and uh, most frequently played the tanky Orion 2CA, so I'm guessing that was pretty brawly. And in the assault class, it was Mr. Anderson from 79th Raptor Talon, who averaged 380 match score across 13 drops, and was equally devastating whether it be in a Fafnir, a Warhawk or a Mad Cat. Now, do these stats tell us anything potentially about the differences in the divisions? Average match scores were pretty even across the divisions in most classes, although in EU we saw light and mediums play a larger role in kills and KMDDs, uh, particularly in, in the mediums. Uh, in NA, 
even in Div A, uh, we saw assaults take the most average kills in KMDDs across the tournament, whereas in EU, they relied on the mediums and the fast mediums in particular. I think uh, EU pilots potentially play maybe a bolder playstyle, particularly at those uh, high levels, and they use you know fast mediums and lights like the Vulcan 5T and that Wolfhound 2, uh, and they get more kills with these mechs as well as die more often uh, in those mechs than the North American counterparts. Uh, in fact, to be honest, I think the piloting of lights was probably the defining difference uh, between all the divisions ultimately. Uh, for example, if we look at NA, Div A and B, they made heavy use of probably more pure, fast scouting lights, uh, like the Flea and the Commando, whereas the Vulcans and the Wolfhounds were far more common in EU. And then when we go down to, say, NA Div C and NA Div D, uh, they were far more likely to use, say, Mist Links and the Piranha 1, so the kind of classic uh, machine gun lights. So uh, whilst I've highlighted the top pilots in each of the divisions, you know, it's important to keep in mind that uh, you know, the way that the players piloted the lights and the roles that they were asked to play by their team and by the uh, style uh, did differ a bit across the divisions. So some outstanding performances there and some amazing pilotship. Of course, if you wanted to check out the top pilots in their class across the tournament, you're going to have to go to the MWO Comp website and check out the post from Live 1991 where it details uh, some more stuff about how pilots performed. Right, let's also give out a few specific awards and then I will talk about my top pilot of the tournament, the MVP in my opinion. The Hiroshima Award for the most devastating single drop goes to Lawrence Alsa from 228 Death from Above. Uh, now Lawrence did 1395 damage in one drop uh, in round five against MS Crab people. Well done, Lawrence. That was bloody fantastic. The Gulag Award for the most amount of team damage in a single drop goes to Dregs McKnight from Cameron's Highlanders Claymore, who did an impressive 312 damage in a drop, uh, which was only 19 less damage than he did to the opposition. Well done, Dregs. The Richie McCaw Award for the most consistent performance goes to Loom God, who played for both Black Omen and Eon Tatos. Now, Loom had a match score of more than 300 in 86% of the drops he played. So that was 29 drops he played and scored over 300 match score 80% of the time, which is just ridiculously impressive. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. The Commando 1D award for the most unkillable pilot goes to Lizzie, uh, whose average mech health at the end of the game was 64%. Uh, so Lizzie played 53 drops and died less than half the time. Now remember, Lizzie, one of the best players in the game, playing in Div A. So that is ridiculous. Impressive. Very, very impressive. And finally, uh, the Sleeper Award for the best performing but least expected pilot uh, goes to my man MK2 from DSAC, who came into the tournament ranked 285th on Yale's score yet finished 20th overall based on match score uh, and played 19 drops. Had to play a minimum of 10 drops to qualify for that ranking, but to finish 20th overall, when your Yale's ranking says that, you're either tanking and playing alts, MK, or you just had an amazingly impressive tournament, and I think it's probably that second one. Well done. 
Right, now to close off, my top pilot of the tournament, no surprise, is Texan Scrublord. Uh, now Texan played for two teams, uh, both of which won their respective divisions. He averaged a match score of 326, averaged 510 damage a drop, and blasted a ridiculous 89 kills. So Texan played 27 different mechs, assaults 21 times, heavies 8 times, medium 15 times, and lights 16 times. Basically, across pretty much any metric that I pulled, uh, Texan was in the top 10, and very often he was in the top 2 or 3 if he wasn't the best. So even outside the numbers, I think it was hard to find a pilot who was more influential or crucial to his team being successful. Uh, the fact that he was so consistent, so devastating, played so many different mechs and still performed so well uh, means that he is well deserving of the MVP. So well played Texan, you were an absolute bastard to play against uh, in all the right ways, so uh, GG my friend, GG. Right, on to some key takeaways now and uh, from pilots to mechs, uh, we saw 416 different variants played and 98 different mechs used across the tournament. The linebacker was the most used mech, uh, taken out 375 times, or a little over 5% of total usage. Uh, in fact, the linebacker featured in at least 86 of the 91 matches that were played, uh, and 181 of the 455 drops. Linebackers were most likely to be seen in pairs, uh, and teams often doubled or tripled up on them. Uh, in fact, they were doubled or tripled at least 68% of the time. Now, sounds like a good decision, right? But uh, actually, the average match score when using the linebacker was only 166.5, uh, and that's below mechs like the Crab or the Bushwhacker, uh, and the average damage done in a linebacker was only 250, and that's below mechs like the Assassin. So, so the Crab, the Bushwhacker, and the Assassin were kind of similar. They didn't play as many times, but they tended to be played in drops two and three, uh, the same way that the linebackers did. So whilst the linebacker might have seemed like it was a really good choice, I guess, for its speed, its tankiness, uh, and its ability to kind of boat either SRMs or pulse lasers really well, uh, it wasn't necessarily the most effective by the numbers. Now that could have been because it got targeted uh, and it allowed other mechs to succeed, uh, but it was a popular choice and nah, I think the jury's still out as to whether it was a good choice. Now the next most used was the Mad Cat, uh, that was taken out 356 times and featured in 82 of the matches. Uh, I guess the most interesting thing about the Mad Cat was how it was weighted so much more to the lower divisions. So it was kind of barely seen in EU Div A and uh, was taken at least as often as an, an Annihilator or a Blood Asp in NA Div A. It's only when we start to get to Div B and below that it really became the most prominent uh, assault mech. You know, and whilst it's touted as maybe the most meta mech or at least extremely meta mech, uh, the average match score and damage done in the tournament for the Mad Cat was, was less than the Annihilator, uh, it was less than the Blood Asp, it was even less than the Warhawk, uh, which also saw not as much use, uh, but certainly a lot of use. Now, the next most used mechs to top out a top six. Uh, were the Wolfhound, the Assassin, the Piranha, and the Annihilator, and they each accounted for somewhere between 45 and 4.8% of total usage. 
Uh, in total, these six mechs accounted for almost a third of all the mech choices, uh, and I guess they give a fairly good indication of what is considered meta. Uh, although, as we've seen with the linebacker, the choices weren't necessarily always associated with strong performance. So uh, the linebacker and the Mad Cat were not necessarily leaders in their class. Uh, the Piranha was generally outperformed, say, by the Commando, uh, and the Assassin was certainly outperformed by the Vulcan. Uh, the Wolfhound and the Annihilator were better, and they pretty much led their class or led their roles, and the Blood Asp was also pretty decent, uh, and that outperformed the Mad Cat, which is um, quite, uh, quite similar, and it uh, outperformed the Mad, Mad Cat by, by quite a margin. So what were the sneaky good mechs uh, to come out of the tournament? Well, uh, in Assaults, as mentioned, the Annihilator and the Blood Asp were both really good. Um, but it was the Direwolf, I think, that was surprisingly effective. Now, the Direwolf was used mostly in Div A, uh, and it averaged 302 match score and almost 550 damage per use. Uh, and it, I think, highlighted maybe where long-range DACA is at the moment and how good an option that is to take. Now, heavies were the least used class in the competition, uh, and we did see staples like, say, the Summoner and the Nightjare perform pretty strongly. Um, but the sneaky good mech, I think, was the Sun Spider, uh, and that was used pretty well, mostly by Div B teams. Uh, it, it, it averaged 263 match score and 425 damage per use, uh, so did pretty well and did feature uh, pretty often, actually, in drops 2 and 3. Uh, the mediums did vary quite a bit, and the mediums, maybe more than any other mechs, have a variance in their roles. Uh, so we did see Hunchback 2Cs and Assassins and Vulcans a lot. They were pretty prolific. Uh, but the sneaky good mech was probably one of my favorite mechs, uh, and that was the Huntsman. So the Huntsman was uh, sneaky good in the class. It averaged 232 match score and 322 damage per use. And uh, the Huntsman did see use outside of the lighter drops as well, outside of drops two and three, which I thought uh, added, added to its versatility. Lastly, uh, in the lights, we did see the usual packs of wolfhounds, uh, the schools of piranha, uh, and the pesterings of mist lynxes. Uh, but I think the tournament did highlight some really, really good lights. Uh, in particular, I think it showed the value of the flea. Uh, now the flea averaged 174 match score and 185 damage. Uh, it also highlighted how good the commando was. The commando averaged 201 match score and 223 damage. As I mentioned, the commando did outperform the piranha. Uh, but the sneakiest good mech from the tournament in the light class, I think, was undoubtedly the panther, uh, which really wasn't used at all below Div B. Uh, but Div B and above, uh, it averaged 208 match score and 283 damage per use. So the panther, I think, was pretty popular, particularly with uh, Death From Above. I know they used the panther a lot. And it was particularly popular with those long-range loadouts. So uh, if you don't own any of those sneaky good mechs, go out and buy them. I think the Marshall and Pedro Bourne showed uh, just how good that they can be. On to the most popular variants used now. And uh, no surprise that the most played variant was the Madcat 2B. Uh, it was played 293 times. Uh, and closely behind that was the Vulcan 5T, played 292. We then had a bit of a drop back to the Wolfhound 2. Uh, and that was taken 206 times, and the Annihilator 2A 192 times, 
then on to the Assassin 21, taken 190 times. Now, lights and fast mediums did dominate the usage stats when we looked purely at variants. Uh, in fact, of the top 10 most used variants, uh, six of those were either lights or fast mediums. In the hero stakes, uh, no surprise that the Virago was the most used hero, and that was followed closely by the quick draw IV4. So what do the stats tell us uh, about the meta? Well, keep in mind firstly that the mechs that get used are most often the ones that are deemed as being best at carrying out the role that they need to play uh, in the strat that the team are going to use, which of course is in turn heavily influenced by the map, the mode, uh, and other limitations like the pilots that you have, the skill of the pilots, and of course whatever um, chassis restrictions or tonnage limits there are uh, for the comp itself. The fact that we saw such a massive variety of the mechs might tell us that different teams kind of have different ideas on how to go about winning the map and the mode, but in reality it was just 25 variants that accounted for 45%, so almost half of all mech usage across the entire tournament. Now part of this of course will be that the teams, you know, teams would settle into a formula, they'll have their drop decks prepared ahead of time and they'll continue to use those. But part of it, I think, is that there is a wide gap uh, between the strong mechs in a certain class, tonnage limit, or role, uh, and the weakest ones. So, you know, players will invariably gravitate to the most effective way of doing something. You know, this computer games are all about, you know, finding the exploits. And I think we did see the tournament kind of highlight that those gaps exist. Yeah, we did see it a bit across all of the classes, but the key takeaway, I think, from the mech variety and usage was simply that we need to close the gap between uh, mechs in a same or similar bracket. Uh, the disparity, it's a bit much to encourage just too much difference in drop decks. Uh, and say if we were to go to another World Champs where they limited what it is that you can take or what you can pick from, I don't think that would be a good thing. I think that would even that would limit the pool uh, even even more. That being said, uh, there were a few surprise packages, I think, in the tournament when we are speaking mechs. Uh, I certainly didn't expect to see the Incubus crop up and be used the way it was, particularly for long range and on Alpine. I think it's fair to say that uh, the tournament was a coming out party for the Vulcan 5T. Uh, led by those fantastic pilots over in the EU region. Uh, you know, it pretty much became an insta-choice for uh, a lot of teams uh, and for a lot of drop decks. I think we also saw uh, confirmation that the Flea is awesome, uh, that the Commando is pretty much unkillable, uh, and yeah, that some of those Panther variants are pretty legit as well. On the other side, I think the tournament also helped confirm uh, that the Arctic Cheetah uh, has pretty much become a little redundant and fallen way down the ranks of effective lights. Uh, and I think we also saw the Griffin 2N die. You know, its uh, role as being a good brawler for its tonnage, I think, is, is now gone. So, yeah, hit F for respects for both of those mechs. So, from mechs to playstyles and strats, uh, and whilst the tournament structure guided this a little bit, I guess with the tonnage limits and the maps and the modes, uh, we did see some pretty interesting patterns emerge. Uh, now, for this exercise, 
I went through every mech variant and categorized it with a typical build or slash playstyle. Uh, so the numbers I quote here will be based on you know some subjectivity, obviously my view on what the most typical build was. Uh, I didn't know the exact loadouts of the mechs. Uh, you don't have access to that in the data uh, that I had, but I don't think it'll be too far off. A lot of it was mostly uh, pretty self-evident. So where it wasn't kind of immediately obvious what the most typical build would be for that mech, I just categorized that as non-typical. So that did end up being a, a pretty small amount at the end of the day. It was pretty easy to, to pick a mech variant and say, boom, here is the, um, the loadout that's most, uh, most likely to be, to be fitted with. So no one is probably surprised that the most frequent playstyle uh, or build we saw was Brawl, uh, and Brawl builds accounted for a little over a quarter of all selections. About 27% uh, were builds that were Brawly. Um, what I can say is that it wasn't just Brawl uh, that was the most popular, but Fast Brawl, so either Fast Missile Brawl uh, with a ton of Assassins or Arctic Wolves, Fast laser brawl, uh, like crabs, uh, and of course those uh, linebackers, which support both the fast missile and the fast laser brawl. We did see some more traditional, I guess, slow brawl with those Orion 2Cs and bushwhackers. Now, whilst you'd expect those builds to be most prevalent in drops 2 and 3, and they were, uh, Brawl was actually pretty well represented in the other drops as well. Uh, it was second only to long-range trade. So whereas you might expect maybe some mid-range uh, or even the fast movers uh, to be uh, most frequent after that long-range, uh, it was still Brawl that was utilized in those other drops. A Brawl was more prevalent the lower that the division went. So if we look at, say, NA Div A, uh, only 21% of the builds there were Brawl builds. When we go down to NA Div D, that goes up to 35%, and it's actually a linear track upwards uh, in the percentage and the usage, the usage stakes uh, as we go down the divisions. Now, the next most common builds, as I mentioned, were long-range ones. Uh, long-range energy and long-range DACA were very similar, uh, and they were used pretty widely across the divisions. Uh, the, Hunts, <coughs> the Hunchback 2CA and the Battlemaster 1G were fairly, fairly consistent choices uh, in the energy stakes, and of course, uh, the Annihilators really did dominate uh, that, that long-range DACA selection. Uh, the key differences in builds and playstyles, I guess, could really be summed up by saying that we generally saw more mid-range builds the lower the division went. So the Madcat was probably the best example that we saw the usage increase the lower down that we went, and uh, that mid-range that, that Madcat uh, B build is, is pretty mid-range. Uh, energy lights and light mediums were also more common in the highest divisions. So a good example of that was the Vulcan 5T, and that was a, a fast medium energy build. It's based on pinpoint accuracy, and uh, yeah, that was utilized far more heavily uh, the higher the divisions went up. So as you've probably guessed, the build selections and playstyles generally seem to follow the lines of skill. Uh, with Div A teams favoring the higher skilled, accuracy-based, pinpoint-type loadouts, uh, which, of course, makes perfect sense. The main takeaway, I think, being that it supports the idea that the most meta or the most effective builds are probably heavily dependent on skill, uh, and given that lower division teams used them less, 
uh, they probably have a skill barrier as well. So even though a mech might be meta, uh, you might actually need a certain skill level to even use it or make it any good at all. Now it also supports the idea that the structure of the tournament encouraged two general strategies, uh, fast brawl for the domination maps uh, and cap and control for those conquest maps. Uh, and the tonnage limits on the conquest maps just dictated really what mechs we saw used to carry out those, those strategies. Now the most common tactic for domination maps, as I said, was generally fast brawl. Uh, teams really looked to gather, hold, and then time the engagement and, and just overrun the opposition uh, all in one hit uh, to get that real snowball effect. Uh, some teams did opt for that longer range tactic, uh, utilizing you know an Overwatch mech or, or several Overwatch mechs, or trying to kite and pull a a fast brawl team into a concave outside of the circle uh, into a concave so that they could uh, you know shoot them and kill them as they charged in. The conquest maps generally involved cap and control, as I said. Uh, and that was long range assaults and heavies controlling the distance with weapons uh, and lights and fast mediums controlling the caps with their speed. Uh, and then one side really trying to pressure the other side until they made a mistake. So, and then when that mistake happened, punishing that mistake either in one decisive action uh, and pushing forward and, and taking out a key mech or making it impossible for the other team to come back. Uh, or entrenching themselves in when they had got the advantage. So potentially if they'd been able to take out a couple of lights or a light, then they could sit back and, and they could win comfortably uh, with the cap game. So again, the question to ask here is maybe what did the tournament and the play styles and tactics that we saw potentially tell us about the state of the game? Now, despite Brawl being used so often uh, and you know the story of the linebackers that I talked about earlier, I think teams still like the idea of Brawl, but I think Brawl is pretty limited. And what we saw was not necessarily Brawl. When we saw Brawl and we saw it being effective, it was fast Brawl. And to go even further than that, to make Brawl successful, it needs to not only be fast, but it now needs to be uh, with mechs that have good survivability and to go even further it's mechs that have survivability based on their geometry so the likes of an assassin uh, the likes of a linebacker it's their hitboxes and the way that they're shaped uh, combined with their speed uh, and of course being able to carry those loadouts that are making them effective so mechs that uh, you know kind of fit into those categories uh, fast brawl with their geometry to complement it they really dwarfed all other mechs that were used uh, in implementing Brawl. Uh, mechs that were slower or whose you know, survivability relied on, on hit points and armor buffs, but they lacked that geometry and really struggled. Ultimately, I think it told us that Brawl should be more effective. There should be more ways to make Brawl work. Uh, but currently, if you're not doing fast Brawl with those types of mechs, you really do struggle. Uh, this idea of tankiness and a tip of the spear kind of tactic, I just don't think uh, can compete and I don't think we saw it compete in the tournament. The tournament also highlighted, I think, the strength of long-range DACA, uh, which was played you know, pretty much as frequently as long-range energy. And I actually think that's a positive change. 
on the back of 2018 and some of the heat changes and the buffs to long-range DACA. I think we have seen that played out in the tournament. Uh, obviously, keeping distance is an extremely effective tactic, and it's uh, critical for that cap and control strategy. So yeah, it's nice to see an alternative to PPCs and those ER large lasers. And uh, I think it starts to promote some IS mechs as being uh, pretty strong choices uh, when it comes to comp. But yeah, I, I think the main story there uh, from looking at the playstyles and, and what we saw is that uh, brawling does need some work uh, and that the gaps between what mechs are good at stuff and uh, other similar mechs in their bracket is just too big at the moment. We do want to see some more variety there. Uh, I think comp will be better when there are more legitimate choices to make uh, in regards to both tactics and of course to mech selections. So last of all, let me touch on the maps, uh, though I think they probably played out much as people would expect. Uh, the drop one map that yielded the highest average match score was actually Forest Colony Classic. Uh, and when playing that map, the average match score was 273 whilst the worst was Tourmaline at 256. Uh, in drops 2 and 3, Mining Collective was the best, an average match score of 210, uh, and HPG was the worst, uh, with an average match score of 175, though uh, that was pretty heavily influenced by those stalemates that we saw. In the map band phase, it was River City that was best at 239 average match score, and the worst was Viridian at 211. In the map band phases, the map selected most often was Rubelite Oasis. Uh, that was followed by Alpine, and then River, then Terra, then Viridian coming in last. Right, so that is probably enough from me. There is certainly more that I could go on about, of course, but I will leave it there for now. I, uh, I did just want to give a taster. Uh, and a bit of, of, of a summary to avoid a, an episode that went for an hour. Uh, what I will look at doing is releasing the data set that I had collected and used from the Martial Olympiad Reborn uh, so that you can go in and work some of that stuff out yourself. Uh, I'll also investigate generating some stat packs uh, so that uh, there is that uh, interactable feature and maybe release that so that you can just click on a few buttons and pull up some key information. If you are really interested, uh, in the information that I've talked about or in that data, look, feel free to contact me uh, if you did have any questions as to how I've generated, what I generated. It's all pretty straightforward stuff, but I'm happy to talk about that. So uh, feel free to contact me uh, via Twitter or via Discord or to email the incoming missile email address. I do want to close by uh, personally thanking the organisers of the competition, specifically Live 1991, Krasnopesky and Just Call Me Ash. Uh, these guys have done a power of work and truly do deserve to be thanked. They are at the heart of this tournament uh, and are one of the main reasons that it was successful as it was. Also, uh, a massive thank you to all of the shoutcasters who gave up their time and energy to bring so much of the action to us via Twitch. Uh, the tournament certainly wouldn't have been what it was if it wasn't for casters like Assistant Belmont, Toaster, Saramon, Kurlon, Lurmgod, Daidachi, Unbreakable Raids, Kamechua, Seabiscuit, Teos, Violent Blue, Bandit, MDM Zero, uh, and Bear Claw, to name the ones that I can remember off the top of my head. Thank you all for your efforts, your energy, and your expertise. Uh, I think the coverage of the tournament was one of the things that made it as good as it was. 
And last, uh, but certainly not least, thank you to everyone who has listened to these updates. Hopefully you have enjoyed the content. Uh, your support and feedback is greatly appreciated. Uh, and if you did want to support us in more tangible ways, you can become a patron of Incoming Missile Podcast for as little as $2 a month. Uh, just find us on Patreon. And before I do go, just a reminder to keep an eye out for the next tournament, the Inner Sphere Coalition, which kicks off this weekend. Uh, if you are not participating, then check out the action on Twitch, go to the MWOCOM Discord, or head to the Aces Wild website. So I hope you have enjoyed this review episode, short and sweet. As I said, contact me if you have any other questions or queries. But that's enough from me, Mick fans. I'll catch you next time. Now you're Sequence initiated.